morning. Welcome to Kavanaugh. We're glad that you're here. Will you stand? There is only one name that is worthy to be praised, and one name that we want to sing about today and elevate, and that is the name of Jesus. Let's sing together the only name that matters to me.
Amen. Thank you so much, worship team. Good morning, Cavanaugh Church family. How's everyone doing? Man, it's so good to see you guys. Hope you guys are having a happy Sunday. It's so great to see you guys here today celebrating and worshiping Jesus with you guys. It's one of the best parts of our week, and we are, again, thankful that you're here to do that with us. If you are new today, thank you so much for joining us this morning. This is our church. This is our church family, and we love it here, and we want to make sure you know all about it. So we would love to meet you after church. I'll be in the back, outside this back door at this welcome counter. I would love to connect with you and your family, get to know you, and tell you about what's going on here at Kavanaugh, because we got a lot going on, and we got a lot of places that you can uh, plug in and connect into, and we want to make sure you know about it. So, we'd love to meet you right after service. Um, man, it's been a great week, and uh, I hope you've had an awesome weekend full of rest um, and being able to get recouped and rejuvenated, ready for the next one. Um, so, we just, again, so thankful to see you, and we've been praying for you all this week. I'm going to invite you all to stand. We're going to ask God's anointing on our service today. But before we do that, I want you to quickly take a, a glance down your row at the people who are in your row. Look, to the left, to the right. Maybe wave so it's not awkward. Some of you are acting real like, who are they? <laughs> Never seen them before. <laughs> you got their faces in, in your mind real fast? Maybe take another glance. Man, I don't know about you, but um, my prayer life has kind of been a little bit extra this week in a good way. Um, I've had a lot more, maybe out of the norm, uh, a few more uh, people come up to me and, or shoot me texts asking for prayer this week. And uh, it just kind of stirred in my soul a little bit because, you know, I believe that prayer works. I believe that God listens to us and hears us. And I think it's important for us to remember each other. Whether you think you need prayer or not, or whether uh, it's someone else that you know that needs prayer, um, we need to be praying for each other. We need to be praying for each other as, as the family of God. And so I want you to do that this morning for the people that are in your row. A couple of faces, you may not know their names, you may not know anything about them, but God has them here this morning. And I believe that God has something special for all of us. So remember the people in your row as we go to this time of the Lord today, that salvation might be had that healing might happen and wholeness can be experienced today. Let's pray. Lord, I love you. And again, I'm so thankful that you've brought us all here together. So thankful for our church and the opportunity that we have to meet here surrounded by other people who know you and to be able to celebrate all that you've done in our lives, God. I pray for the word as, it's been, as it is preached this morning, as Brother Will uh, brings it. I just give him the courage to speak everything that you have prepared his heart to speak on, God. I, I can't wait. And I know that we should be expecting great things from you because that's the kind of God that you are. You are great because you are great. But Lord, I also want to lift up our church family this morning. We have a lot of people that, are, that need healing, that are sick, that are got some things going on in their lives right now. And Lord, I just pray a special prayer over them right now in the way that you need to work in their lives. God, I pray that they just experience you and they know that, you're, that they are loved by you. So Lord, just lift them up. But Lord, for us today, we hope that as the word is preached and as we continue to worship, that salvation might be had today for the first time. Or maybe someone might be able to learn something new about you and your goodness. And God, I pray that we are challenged to be a, a, the people that you want us to be, God, because you have called us to be your hands and the feet for your word, God, and for the gospel. 
So strengthen us today in boldness today, and may we be encouraged more than ever through the preaching of your word. We love you so much in your name. Amen. Let's, re- let's remain standing and let's sing together.
on behalf of Will and I um, for allowing us to go to the National and for sending us there. We had a, a great week in Birmingham. Somebody asked me this morning what I liked about Birmingham, and I said, Birmingham and my rear view mirror is <laughs> what I liked about it. But it was a great time, and uh, the National had a theme this year, and it was to go the extra mile. And it really was great. We had great speaking, great services. Um, and on Monday evening, we heard a sermon about Jesus accepting the request to go and heal Jairus' daughter. And um, Jairus was ex a uh, well-respected man of his community. He was a ruler in the synagogue. Um, he, was, he had a position of power. And I imagine everybody in that crowd of people was in agreement that Jesus should go and fulfill this request to heal his daughter. So Jesus accepted and was on his way to perform that miracle. Um, the interesting thing is, as he was traveling, he had another encounter, and it was the woman with the issue of blood. And she was probably the exact opposite of Jairus. Uh, by Jewish law, she was considered an outcast and uh, not very well respected. And she had no one to come before Jesus and to plead her cause. And yet, on his way to do something that the crowd was expecting him to do, he met the need of another person. And um, I think the point that he was making that night was that no matter where we are in life, no matter what your social status is, your position of power or lack thereof, Jesus wants to have an encounter with you and that he is on his way to making that happen. And he took the time to have an encounter with a nine-year-old girl in Arkansas, you know? He had an encounter with a six-year-old in Midland, Texas. Um, it doesn't matter who you are. You are in this place and under the sound of my voice or listening online, you matter to God. And if Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, we know that what he did way 2,000 years ago, he's still in the business of doing. Amen. So the good news is he'll do for you what he's done for me. Let's sing about my Jesus. Are you past the point of weary? Is your burden weighing heavy? Is it all too much to carry? You feel that empty feeling, cause shame's done all it's stealing, and desperate for some healing. Let me tell you about my Jesus.
thankful to stand in your presence and know that you changed my life. You took that little girl that walked down the aisle and said, Lord, forgive me. And you did. And as I stand here today, I'm that same little girl. And you forgave me of my sins. And you changed my life. Lord, if there's anyone here standing this morning that doesn't know you, I pray they would not leave this building without their lives being changed. That they can walk out of here a brand new person, free of their sins. Lord, we love you. We give you all the glory for you are worthy. You are holy and you are righteous. You're the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We give you all the praise and the honor and the glory this morning. So thankful that you love us and you give us first chances, second chances, third chances, and you just keep on forgiving us, Lord, where we fail you, for we're only human. We thank you, Lord, for everything. We're such a blessed people. Please don't let us take that for granted. I pray as our pastor stands in the pulpit this morning and he opens the word, it would move us. It would take us out of our places of complacency, out of our places of comfort, and let us step across that line. Move us and change us, Lord, as only you can. For your word is alive and it's powerful. Let us be moved and changed, for we love you. We love you, Jesus. For you are the one that gives all power. We give everything over to you this morning in your precious name. And they all said, amen. Let me tell you about my Jesus. I love that song. Give the praise team a big hand. I love, let me tell you about my Jesus. Here's the cool thing about that song. It was written by a young girl, Ann Wilson. I don't, I don't know, Eric, you know how old she is? Like 19, about 20 years old. You know what? God can use young people to do great things. And uh, that song is such a blessing to me. I, I guess it's my, my favorite new song. Love it. Let me tell you about my Jesus. He can change your life just like he changed my life. Well, it's good to be here today. Glad that you're here. Uh, we were in Birmingham this past week. Jason, thank you for preaching last Sunday. I listened online. He did a great job, did he not? Give him a big hand. Wednesday, Wednesday night I was gone. Brother Ray preached. Uh, Brother Ray set a, a new record. I think he let you out at 732. So that kind of sets a new standard for the rest of us who preach on Wednesday night. We're going to have to get in the Ray mode. I, I'm doing a little series this summer entitled Making a Difference in This World. And, and I re- you know what? I want to make a difference. I want to make a difference in my, in my family, in my neighborhood, in my community, in my church. I want to make a difference in the world. And I believe that you can as well. You can make a difference 
by the life that you live. But here's what it takes. I'm going to preach about this today. Scott, it takes passion. If you're going to make a difference in your family, in your life, in your world, you're going to have to have it come from deep within you, and you're going to have to be a person of passion. Really, the motivation behind all great artwork is passion. The motivation behind all great music is passion. The motivation behind all great literature is passion. Passion makes things great. Passion is what mobilizes armies to go against enemies that are much larger and stronger and still defeat them. Passion is what enables scientists to, to find discoveries to, to dreaded disease. Passion is what enables athletes to set new records and win Olympic goals. Passion is what sustains you in reaching your own goals as you go through life. Nothing great is done without passion. Passion is what turns the impossible into possible. And without passion in your life, you're going to be dull and drab and boring. And more than that, God wants you to live a passionate life. He wants you to sense the passion that he has put inside of you. One day a man walked up to Jesus and said, Jesus, I, I, I want you to give me the, the secret to the whole Bible. Of, of all the commandments that are given in the Bible, which is the most important commandment? If I'm only going to get one of them done, I want to do the most important thing. And so Jesus said, okay, I'm, I'm going to give you the synopsis of the whole Bible, the cliff notes on the Bible. I'm going to give it to you in two sentences. And if you get this down, you've got it made, man. If you can do these two things, then you understand what the Bible is all about. So in Mark chapter 12, he tells us what these two things are. And I want you to hear the passion in the words of Jesus as he tells us what is the most important thing in life. Mark chapter 12, verses 30 and 31. He says, you are to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. And then you are to love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. Wow. Jesus says there are really two things that really matter in life. That is love God and love people. Say that with me. Love God, love people. Again, love God, love people. But he said you can't love God and love people in a wimpy kind of way. You can't do it in a half-hearted way. He said if you're going to do it, you need to do it passionately with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. Jason, I, I love this verse in Peterson's translation, the message. Second time I'm using the message. Love the Lord your God with all of your passion, with all of your prayer, with all of your intelligence, and all of your energy. God is saying, you've got to give it all you got. Read my lips, this is not for wimps. Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, you've got to do it with passion because it deserves everything you've got. These are things worth being passionate over, the Lord God. The Bible uses that phrase, with all of your heart, 
on numerous occasions. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 29, it says that we're to seek God with all of our heart. That is, we are to seek God passionately. Deuteronomy 6, 5, we are to love God with all of our heart. We love God passionately. Deuteronomy 10, 12, we are to serve God passionately. Deuteronomy 30, verse 2, we are to obey God passionately. In Proverbs 3, 5, we are to trust God with all of our heart passionately. And then as if he left something out, here's what he says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. God says, whatever you do, whatever you do, do it with all of your heart as unto the Lord and not unto men. He says, no matter what you do, do it with passion. No matter what you do, do it with all of your heart. Never do anything half-heartedly. If you're going to do it and it's worth doing, then you need to do it with all of your heart. That's why here at Kavanaugh we say, if we're going to do it, we're going to go all the way. And if it's worth being done, let's do it with all of our heart. God deserves our best. You know what? In America, we are often passionate about everything except God. Are you following me? We're passionate about our sports and our team. Don't say nothing bad about my team. And if you want to see a good fist fight, go to Razorback Stadium when we're playing somebody like LSU or Alabama, and they they start ranting on the hogs. There's going to be a fist fight in the stands. Why? Because we're passionate about our team. We're passionate about the movies that we watch. Tell you what, some some of the weirdest people are those Star Star Wars fans. They're, They're passionate about Star Wars. They think the whole world revolves around Star Wars. I'm being funny right now, and y'all don't think I am because you like Star Wars. You're taking offense. We're passionate about fashion, the clothes we wear, even the brand that we wear. We're, we're passionate about cars. I mean, a, a Chevy guy is not going to be caught dead driving a Ford. A Honda guy's not going to get on a Harley. I mean, it's just the way that we are. We're passionate. We're passionate about restaurants. Some of us more than others. I guess. Here's the amazing thing. The amazing thing in our culture is that it's okay. It's even appropriate to be passionate about anything as long as it's not God. I can go to any sporting event and yell, scream my head off, jump up and down, raise my hands in the air. When my team loses, I can cry. When they win, I can dance around and kiss people I don't even know. And it's okay because they look at me and say, wow, what a fan. They love their team. They're so passionate. But you know what? If I come to church and do any of that, here's what they'd say about me. He's a fanatic. He's a weirdo. Let's don't sit on the same row he's on. It's like it's appropriate to get excited, to be enthusiastic, to have a passion for anything in life as long as it's not God. Yet Jesus said, hey, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to do it with passion. You're going to have to do it with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength. You've got to give it all. 
Romans 12, 11, quite a verse. It says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. You know what that tells me? It, it tells me that this passion is not automatic. You don't stay on fire for God automatically. It, it's something that has to be maintained. It has to be cultivated. You've got to stroke those fires. You've got to fan the flame to maintain your spiritual passion. Because here is our natural tendency. Our natural tendency is to stagnate. Our natural tendency is to lose our passion and become complacent. See, if you were passionate, you'd say, oh, yeah, brother. But you're just proving my point right here. We've stagnated. Why? Because there are passion killers out there in life. There are things that stagnate our passion. You have two or three, four losing seasons, and you're not so energetic to root for your team. In fact, some of you start looking for another team. We lose our passion. And when it comes to the things of God, the devil wants to take our passion away. He's like a little mosquito that just keeps sucking the blood out of us. More than anything, the devil wants to kill your passion for God and the things of God. He doesn't want you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And maybe you have fallen prey to some passion killers in your own life. I, I originally made this long list of passion killers. And if I were to have preached that entire list, we would be here till like 5 o'clock tonight. So I did some cutting on it. And I've condensed it down to three passion killers that the devil has used in my own life. And I know that if he's used these in my life, chances are he's used them in your life. So let's use these passion killers as a checklist. And let's be asking ourselves, why in the world have I lost my zeal? Why have I lost my passion? Where have my expectations and enthusiasm for the Lord or anything else gone? Chances are it's one or more of these three passion killers I'm going to talk about today. So let, let's just dive into it, all right? Can we? Can you be passionate and say yes? Oh, I love that. Passion killer number one, an unclear purpose. Just, just floating around. No meaning in life, don't, don't know why you're here, what you're doing. Really, living without purpose is the most common reason people lack passion in their life. Without a purpose for living, why even bother? Why put forth the effort? If, if you don't have something that you're passionate about, why even get out of bed in the morning? Why in the world am I going to expend energy over something that I'm not passionate about? The fact of the matter is, life can become really futile. If you don't know your purpose, it, it can really stagnate easily. I told the first service this past week, I'm reading through my Bible, and I came to the book of Lamentations, and I read Lamentations in one day, and I tell you what, I've never been so depressed. <laughs> vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Everything is vain. There's, no, there's nothing worthwhile than anything that we do. He said, I've had it all. 
Wine, women, fast cars, fast chariots, fast motorcycles, great guys. I've had everything, but it's all, it's all vanity. And you know what? The longer you go through adult life without defining what God's purpose for your life is, the less passion you're going to have. Because passion and purpose go together. Did y'all get that? Passion and purpose go together. Without purpose, life is passionless. And there's no reason for enthusiasm over the long haul. Life seems futile. You may feel like the prophet Isaiah. He said this in Isaiah 49 verse 4. I have labored to no purpose. I have spent my strength in vain and for nothing. Here it is. Vanity of vanities. Have have you ever felt that way? Come on, have you ever felt that way? Thanks, Jason, for responding. I can always count on you, man. Sure, we all have. Without purpose, you have no passion. On the other hand, a clear purpose creates passion. The the greater your purpose in life, the more passion you're going to have about living. So here's the deal. If, If you have a little dinky purpose... That is, I'm just going to live for myself. I'm going to make sure I take care of my needs. I, I am the most important thing in this. If that is your purpose, that's pretty dinky, and you're going to have very little passion in life. If you have a, a medium-sized purpose, then you know what? You're going to have a medium-sized passion. But if you plug into God's purpose, if you understand God's purpose for your life, which is absolutely enormous and huge, and you begin to see that you're part of God's kingdom, you're a part of God's plan, and you commit yourself to his purpose for your life and sharing the good news of the gospel with other people, you're going to have an enormous purpose. There's nothing more significant than being what God made you to be, doing what God made you to do, thinking the way God made you to think, and sharing the greatest news of the kingdom of God with this lost world. Man, that gives you passion. And no matter what job you have that you have to get up for, if you have a passion for God and the things of God and the kingdom of God, you're going to wake up with a different attitude. I like the way Whit Hobbs said it. He said it the best. I'm going to read it to you, so really tune in to me. Look at the top of my head while I bend over and read this. Passion is waking up in the morning wherever you are, however old or young you are, and bounding out of bed because you know there's something out there that you love to do, that you believe in, that you're good at. Something that's bigger than you are, and you can hardly wait to get at it again. It's something you'd rather be doing more than anything else in this whole wide world. You wouldn't give it up for money. It means more to you than money. And hopefully it's something that makes the world a better place for other people and not just for yourself. Amen. Man, I'm telling you what, an unclear purpose is going to kill the passion you have for life. So you need to figure it out. If you've never figured it out, figure it out today. God made me for a reason. I'm going to turn it around. God made you for a reason, and you for a reason, and you for a reason. And even though all of us are different, 
We all have a purpose in life. You're not here just to consume oxygen and take up space. God has something for you to do. And until you figure that out, you're just kind of floating through life with no clear aim, no clear purpose. But once you figure out, I'm on God's team. I'm in his kingdom. He's got something he wants to do with me. Boy, I tell you what, it gives you a purpose for life, and that purpose gives you passion. And that's the way I want to live the rest of my life, fulfilling God's purpose with his passion. Now, the second passion killer, you don't have to look very far to find, just your calendar. Passion killer number two, an unbalanced schedule. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because I know we all deal with this one. Whether you're overworked or underworked, either way, you tend to lose your passion. Why? Because you're not balanced. Very few of us are. Let me go to the extremes and explain what I'm talking about. Some, some of you are always giving out because that's just the way you're wired. You, you see a need. You see somebody that's got a need, and you're going you're gonna to do everything you can to help that person. There, there's always a cause out there, and you want to be a part of the solution, and so you're always giving out. Every day you're looking for projects to be involved in, people who need to be helped, and you're doing, you're caring, you're helping, whether it's your family or people at work. It's just the way you're made. You're wired that way. You care about people. You care about things and issues, and so you're always doing. You're always giving. You're always putting out which is a great thing. It is. The problem is, if all you're doing is putting out and you're never bringing anything back in, you're going to burn out. You can't maintain that. Jesus is our example in caring for people. Jesus is all about ministry. What he, was, he was going to help a little girl who was sick, and along the way, he stopped to help somebody else out who had had this issue of blood. You read through the Gospels, whether it's an individual person that Jesus is meeting their need or it's a whole group of people, Jesus cared about people. Come on, church. Jesus cares about people. And he was always ministering to and helping people. But here's what the Bible says numerous times. After he expended all of this energy, both physically, mentally, and spiritually, helping other people, we will read passages that he went to the other side of the lake and came apart so that he could spend time with his father and recuperate both physically, mentally, and spiritually. Jesus understood, I can't always be giving out because I'll burn out. I've got to be taking some in. So the other extreme of that is when all you do is just take stuff in. And you know people like this. They're always saying, let's go to another seminar and learn something else. Let's go to another class and learn this new thing. Let's listen to another podcast and learn about this. Let's learn about that. Let's learn about this. And they're always taking in, but they're never giving out. It's just like you coming on Sunday mornings and sitting there. You can just sit and sit and sit and soak and soak and soak. But if you don't do something with what you're getting, you're going to sour Somebody asked me one time, preacher, can you ever do enough Bible study? Can you ever have enough Bible study in your life? And, and my initial answer is, well, no, you can never. But then I got to think, you know what? If all you're doing is studying the Bible, yes. 
You can have too much Bible study because the Bible is not something just to be studied. It's something to do. It's something to live. It's something to flesh out. So if all you're doing is taking this in and it's never going out and ministering and helping and sharing, then you know what? It's, it's bad for you because it's meant to do. So we got these two extremes, people who are always giving out, never taking in, people who are always taking in but never giving out. Fortunately, God's got a solution for this. Are you ready for it? 1 Timothy 4, 7. It says, take the time and the trouble to keep yourself spiritually fit. Take the time and the trouble to keep yourself spiritually fit. And then in verse 8, he goes on to talk about that, that physical fitness. He says, physical exercise is, is marginally profitable. It profits a little, he says. But spiritual exercise profits a great deal. Are you with me? So let's go back to verse 7 when he says, take the time and the trouble to keep yourself spiritually fit. Can I tell you, it takes time and trouble to stay spiritually fit. When you're driving to church this morning, maybe you saw somebody who was jogging along the sidewalk or riding a bike, and you waved to them in your air-conditioned car. You admired them or you were jealous of them because you know what? It takes time and trouble to stay physically fit, does it not? It's hard work to stay physically fit. But this verse reminds us that, that it's even more important to be spiritually fit. Just like it takes a balance to be physically fit. You've got to eat the proper foods, which is the hardest thing to do. You've got to work out daily, which is very hard to do. You, you've got to find the proper amount of time for your body to rest and recuperate. It's hard to do. But it takes balance of all of those things to stay physically fit. And just as it takes balance to stay physically fit, it takes balance to be spiritually fit. Past week we were at the convention. I see preachers from all over the country, people I don't see but once a year. This one preacher came up to me and he said, here's what he said to me. He said, Brother Will, you're pretty fit for an old guy. <laughs> What's your secret? <laughs> After I helped him up off the ground, that went over about like it did first service. No, I didn't really punch him, knock him down. I, I, was, I was offended that he called me an old guy. Yeah. But I, I told you, I said, it's no secret, it takes hard work and discipline. If you're going to stay physically fit, right? Those of you who do it, it takes hard work and discipline. And the older you get, the harder you have to work. Come on. I mean, you do. And then he asked me, well, what do you do? And I told him what I did. Every day I'm doing a major body part. Every day, five days a week, I, I work out for an hour, hour and a half. I'm not bragging, I'm just telling you. To keep this physique, the weight, an hour and a half a day. I work my chest one day, my back one day, my legs one day, my shoulders one day, and my arms the other day. And it ain't easy. Jason, you know, you've been to Kokomo. It takes time and trouble to remain. It does. It's hard work. It ain't for wimps. 
And I could bring you to my garage and we could go through my exercise program that I tweak every month and change a little bit so that my muscles don't stagnate. They got to keep alive and work so they can keep growing. Every day we're doing something different. And you can go through my exercise program at Kokomo and it will profit you very little. But it will profit you. Physical exercise. It profits little. But spiritual exercise profiteth greatly. That's what the Bible says. And so no matter what program you're on to stay physically fit, you need a spiritual fitness program. And I would suggest to you that you get on God's fitness program. And just like I work five major muscle groups one day a week, five days during the week, so God's program has five areas of concentration. Number one, God wants you to work out every day in worship to him. Worship is not just coming in here on Sunday morning and singing with the praise team. This is the the cherry of the icing on top of the cake. Every day you need to be connecting with God through worship. Worship is seeing God who he is and worshiping him for who he is. The ancient people said worship is hard work. In Latin, that's what it means, worship, hard work. It's hard work to worship, but you need to be worshiping so that you can remain spiritually balanced. Number two, God's workout program. We need fellowship with other believers. Iron sharpens iron. And I need a relationship with you, and you need one with me, and we need one with other believers. Now, don't take me wrong. We need to be around unsaved people. We do. I enjoy being around unsaved folks. Why? Because it gives me an opportunity, number one, to remain in perspective on what's going on in our world today, but to influence them. I mean, if if, if unsaved people are going to be saved, they need to be witnessed to. But my best friends shouldn't be unsaved people. My best friends need to be other believers who believe the same way that I believe. Why? So that we can encourage one another and build each other up and be a strength and a support to one another. So you got to have fellowship. You need to work out that fellowship muscle every day. Third part of God's workout program, Bible study. Again, you need to read the Bible every day and not just read it, go out and do it. That's what Bible study is. Reading it, being instructed from the Lord, and then fleshing out what it says. That takes hard work, takes time and trouble, but you need that to grow spiritually. Number four, we need to figure out what our ministry is. God, if you're a Christian, God has given you a spiritual gift And you are to use that spiritual gift within the church to build up other people and give strength to other people and to serve other people. And you will never be at your best until you figure out what your ministry is and you actually do it. Time and trouble, but it's worth it. And then number five is outreach. Every day I need to be waking up saying, Lord, who is it that you want me to share the good news of the gospel with today? This is not something that that we want to remain silent about. This is the best news in the world. 
And we need to be sharing our faith with Jesus Christ. And when I have a balance of all five of these disciplines in my life, when every day I'm worshiping God, every day I'm rubbing shoulders with other believers, iron is sharpening iron, every day I'm reading my Bible and then fleshing it out, every day I understand what my ministry is, what God called me to do, and I'm serving other people through that ministry, and every day I am sharing the good news, then I'm balanced. And when you're balanced, you got passion. Because no matter what your real job is, let me just stop right here and say, we're all different, aren't we? Gary, we're all different. I mean, our backgrounds make us different. You and I lived in Pine Bluff. We see the world different than anybody else. But not only that, God wired you differently. And, you know, I just look at my own kids. And I see how different, how in the world could, how, I mean, it's just me and you, and we made all three of these kids in there, but they're so different. And their gifts and abilities are different. I mean, I'll brag on my Whitney right there. Did y'all know she's pregnant again? Third grandbaby for me. Third, my, can I say this? I'm just, I know I shouldn't be talking about my grandkids when I'm preaching, but my little grandson, Archie. How old is Archie? About, he's two just turned two years old. They asked him the other day, Archie, who's your best friend? Without hesitation, he said, Poe. <laughs> I'm his best friend, man. Uh, what did I do to deserve, to deserve that? Here's Whitney. Here's Whitney's personality. Whitney's never met a stranger. Whitney could, she, she is so good at, at, at just communicating and talking. One, one day after, I guess it was right after college, she asked me to go with her to a car dealership because she was going to buy a new car. And she wanted me to use my negotiation skills, which I had learned from my dad, who is the best negotiator. When, when, when I was buying a car in high school, my dad went with me. And as the salesman went to the, his boss to see if we could do this great deal, my dad went around, got in his chair, put his feet up on the guy's desk, and was messing with the guy's calculator. So when the guy came back in the room, visually he saw, I'm not in charge anymore, that guy is. And let me tell you, my, my dad is as cold and as hard as you can be when it comes to money and negotiating. Man, he can get a good deal. I, I learned a little bit of that from them and, and from him. And, and so Whitney thought, you know what? My dad would be a good guy to, to is a Camaro. We're going to buy a Camaro. And then, you know what? When we got in that salesman's office, I never said a word. Because this girl had him wrapped around her little finger, and he was taking money off right, left, and center. She's got that gift about her. My middle daughter, Callie's different than that. She thinks differently. We just moved her to Denver, Colorado. She's going to start law school middle of August. She has a brilliant mind. But she's not doing it to make money. She's not going to be, Danny, she's not going to be one of those rich lawyers She's doing it to help people, specifically women who are used in sex trafficking. She wants to make a difference in their life, and, and she's got this brilliant mind. And then we got Zane over here. Zane just graduated from University of Arkansas. This week, we're going to move him to Dallas because he's going to do a master's degree at SMU in business, and you're going into, let me think what it is again, investment banking. I had no idea what investment banking was. I said, son, what did, Eric, he said, don't worry, dad, there's a lot of money in it. 
Zane's good with numbers. He's good with figures. Ken, I'm not. You know, I, I still find myself, if, if I am subtracting, you know, se- five from 17, I've got to use my fingers to figure out it. I don't think that way. God made you a certain way, and you're really good at what you do. But whether or not you wake up in the morning with passion to go and do that job, you ought to wake up with passion because you know you're involved in something much bigger than just your job. You're involved in something much bigger than just your family or your neighborhood or your little dinky life. You're involved in kingdom work. And God has chosen you to be his ambassador. God has chosen you to be his spokesperson. And when you're balancing all of these attributes of God in your life, it's going to give you passion and motivation. And you're going to wake up in the morning ready to jump out of bed and get to doing what God made you do. Woo! Man, passion. Passion killer number three, I'm almost done. Unconfessed sin. There are really few things that rob us of our joy more quickly or rob our passion faster than an unconfessed sin and the guilt that results from that. What many of us do is rationalize our sin subconsciously. We, we don't think about it consciously. We push it way down deep in our emotions and subconsciously it is affecting every aspect of our life. Isaiah, or Psalm 38, verse 4, the psalmist said, My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden that is just too heavy to bear. And let me tell you, you can't feel enthusiasm and guilt at the same time. It's too heavy to bear. Some of you are trying to be enthusiastic and passionate about life, but there's this guilt that keeps crashing your joy. This sounds like it would be one of the most difficult problems in the world to solve. How can I solve the problem of guilt and the residue of sin in my life? Fortunately, it's the easiest problem to solve. Let me share with you my favorite verse, 1 John 1, 9. It says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. So here's the deal. When I feel that guilt, when I know that I have sinned, when I know that I've disobeyed God, all I have to do is go to God and with an honest heart repent of my sins. So I'll come before God and say, Lord, I have, I have sinned. I have done wrong. I know that I've messed up. And I'm just laying it out before you. I'm, I'm not going to be pretentious anymore. I'm not going to cover it up anymore. I'm not going to say, well, it's just the facts of life. Everybody does it. No, Lord, I've messed up. I've sinned. And I confess it before you. Please, Jesus, forgive me. And here's the cool thing about this verse. If we genuinely do that, and it's coming from our heart, the Bible says our God is faithful and just to forgive us. He's bound to forgive us. If we ask for forgiveness, guess what? He's going to forgive us. And there's nothing like that to be forgiven, to have your slate cleaned and washed, the sins washed away. It's an amazing feeling. And can I tell you this, church? You need to keep a short account with God. By that I mean this. 
you don't let it go on and on before you bring it before him. Not a month, not a week, or even a few hours. As soon as I know there's something wrong, as soon as I know that I've messed up, and by the way, if you're a Christian and you sin, you will know it. It's the job of the Holy Spirit to tell you you've done wrong. And so as soon as that happens, man, you know what? I immediately go before God. I confess it, and I get back to living again. Brings about a pretty important question. What is the greatest sin a Christian can commit? Have you ever thought about that? What, what is the biggest sin that I can commit as a Christian? Some of you say, oh, I know, it's the big A, adultery. No. Gossip. God hates gossip. It's got to be gossip. Yeah, wrong again. Well, maybe it's homosexuality or sexual sin or getting stoned or getting drunk. Wrong again. What's the greatest sin? Revelation chapter 3, 15 and 16. Jesus is speaking to the church of the Laodiceans, and this is what he said. I know your works, and you're neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot, so because you're only lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I am going to vomit you out of my mouth. So in this verse, Jesus is telling us the greatest sin that we can commit as Christians. What is it? Lukewarmness. Jesus said, I would rather have you hot or cold. He would rather have us cold than lukewarm. Why? Because God is passionate about us. In that verse, Jesus said, lukewarmness makes me nauseated. It makes me sick to my stomach. Literally in the Greek language, it makes me want to vomit. That's how serious God is about our passion. He says, I want to throw up when I look at you and you're straddling the fence. Polite translations say, I'll spew you out of my mouth. No, he, he wants to vomit you out of his mouth. C.S. Lewis put it like this, and I think we're going to throw it up on the big screen. The only thing Christianity cannot be is moderately important. I want everybody to read that with me on three. One, two, three. The only thing Christianity cannot be is moderately important. Now, I'm going to step over here, and I want you to read it out loud without me. One, two, three. Do you believe that? If Jesus is who he says he is, he deserves everything we got. He's not just a piece of the pie, along with your career and your hobbies. He's the whole pie. And if it's not true, if this is not true, then you know what? We, need, we just need to close these doors down, let the bank take this building over and sell it to an antique store. And we can go home and watch golf all Sunday afternoon. We're just kidding ourselves. The only thing Christianity cannot be is moderately important. The casual Christian is a contradiction to terms. You're either passionate about loving God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, or you're not, period. This series I've been preaching is, is about how you can make a difference in your world. And really, when you step back and look at it, the people who have made the biggest difference, who have made the greatest contribution and the greatest impact were passionate people. 
They were not the smartest people or the wealthiest people or the best educated people or the most beautiful people. They were people of passion. And so if you're going to make a difference in your world, in your family, in your community, and in this church, you must be a person of passion. Sure, passionate about what you do and the livelihood that you have, but even more than that, you've got to be passionate about God. He must be number one in your life, and then everything else a far second. And here's the amazing thing. If you're here today and you're a Christian, you used to be that way. When you first got saved, you were so in love with Jesus. You were so passionate about serving Jesus. But as time has gone on, that passion has waned, and you've lost your first love. And you're still going through the motions. You're still coming to church. You're still involved in ministry. You're still giving. But the passion is not there. Why? Because you've got to keep that going, man. If you don't keep it going, you lose your first love. We've been married how many years? Did you do the math since first service? Somebody help me here. We got married in 1983. This is 2022. I think the numbers, y'all are horrible at math. You don't have enough toes and fingers. It's 39 years, isn't it? A long time. And, and I'm, I'm not bragging. I'm not trying to make any of you guys look bad. But I tell her every day I love her. Multiple times. Love you, baby. Miss Angie, I love you with all my heart. You're awesome. You're so beautiful. And I go on and on, and it gets disgusting because it's so gooshy and mushy. And not only do I tell her that, I try to show her that. Why? Because it's important. And I realize that if I don't, if I don't do that every day, you know what's going to happen? We're going to grow apart. We're going to let other things come in and, and demand our attention and maybe even other people. And before long, we're going to be so far apart who are you? No, I'm going to stay passionate in my love for my wife. Why? Because I do love her. And, and if it's that way in a physical relationship with another person, it's got to be so much more in my relationship with God. Because if, if, if I don't express my love to Jesus every day, and if I don't spiritually work out in these five modes every day, I'm going to lose my first love, and I'll lose my passion. A moment ago, I read to you from Revelation chapter 3. Let me back up to Revelation chapter 2. There's these seven letters to seven churches. It begins to the church at Ephesus. This is what Jesus said. Nevertheless, I have one thing against you. Now understand, here was a church that was doing everything right. They had all these ministries, all these programs. They were blowing and going. They were a great church. You would look at that church and say, hey, I want to be a part of that church. Awesome church. But Jesus said, nevertheless, I've got one thing against you. You have left your first love. And there it is. They didn't protect their love. They were just going through the motions. They were doing ministry without passion. So what does he say to them? Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent 
and do the first works again. So if you're here today and you've lost your passion, you lost your zeal, how do you regain it this way? You remember, you remember how it was when you first fell in love with Jesus. You remember those feelings. You remember that passion. Number two, you come and repent. Say, Lord, you haven't gone anywhere, but I have. And I'm sorry, I repent. And then number three, you go back to the way it used to be. You start doing again those things that you did at the beginning when you were passionately in love with Jesus Christ. I'm almost finished, but let me ask you this question. Has there ever been a time in your life when you were closer to God than you are right now? And if the answer is yes, why in the world did you let that happen? You can't blame anybody else because you're as close to God right now as you want to be. I'm as close to God right now as I want to be. And I can't blame anybody else but myself. If you feel far from God, guess who moved? (laughs) Well, not God. So fall back in love with Jesus. Regain that passion. Now, I preach this message today because it's just kind of a a part of my my series on making a difference in the world. But you know what? Look, Look at me. I I ain't really preaching that to you. I'm preaching it to me. I haven't really lost my passion, but let me tell you, I've I've, I've noticed some things happening in my life. I've, I've become much more critical about things and people. I've become much more negative. Instead of waking up in the morning with a zeal to get out and do the things, I've I've been waking up complaining about things, griping about things, and finding the bad and the negative in things and in people. Hey, I'm just being honest with you. And, And what this has done for me this past week in studying for this sermon is it made me realize, well, the problem's not with those other people. It's with you, dude. You just need to fall back in love with Jesus and realize, you know what? People are people. Let me, let me quote a, a famous attorney friend of mine. People do dumb things. They really do. And I can't, I'm not going to blame other people. I'm not going to blame God because God hasn't gone anywhere. I don't know how many more years I have. I'm about to turn 61. I guess I am old. That guy was right. You know what? I want to have more passion and more zeal and more fire and be more effective in these last years of ministry and life than I've ever been before. That's why every time I walk through this building, every day of the week, you know what I say out loud? Well, I love this place. I guess the day when I walk through there and I can't say that may be the day to hang it up, but right now... Tell you what, I love this place, and I love you, and I love God, and I love the ministry he's called us to, and I love the place that we're at, and I love the future that we have, and I want to be passionate about my Jesus. So here's what I'm going to do when we have our invitation. I'm not going to go down here and pray with you guys. I'm going to be right here on my knees, falling back in love with Jesus. And asking him to restore the passion and the zeal in my life like I've never had before.
for his kingdom work, for this church, and for you. Heavenly Father, would you do that for all of us? And if there's anyone in this room who's never been saved, I pray that today they would get saved. And then, dear Lord, for those of us who are Christians, no matter where we are, no matter where we are in our walk with you, I pray that today we would take it up a notch, that we would fall greater in love with you, that we would be more passionate about what you've called us to be and do. Lord, work in our lives. Help, help those of us who have needs and burdens and hurts to come to the altar and give them to you. Lord, for that person who needs to be encouraged today, I pray that the Holy Spirit right now would bring encouragement. For that one that needs to be convicted, conviction. For all of us, passion. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. As you stand and step out, let's come to Jesus and pray right now. Altars are open. Please, y'all come and pray. Lord, we thank you today for your grace. Thank you for loving us, dying on the cross to save us from our sins. And I pray, dear Lord, that we would love you back with the same passion that you have for us. Dear Lord, help us to make a difference in our family, at work, in this church, and in our world. Help us to be passionate followers of Jesus Christ. 
And Lord, for everybody in our church who's having a tough time and who's had physical illness and problems, I, I lift them up to you, Lord. Help Carolyn and her upcoming surgery. Help little Jed as he has surgery tomorrow. Thank you for Fred and him being here today. And Lord, I'm thankful that, that Joe and Joy and Marcia and Hannah were all safe in their auto accidents. Lord, we just love you so much. We, we can never thank you enough for your grace and your goodness. And Lord, for those in this room who are just really struggling and at wit's end, I pray that they would just fall back in love with you and rediscover the joy of their salvation. We ask this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. If you'd be seated just for a moment. I want to thank you for being here today. God bless you. We, we do have a lot going on in our church, both in ministry and those who are hurting and in need of prayer. So uh, get connected and pray for people in our church. We have a weekly prayer list that you can uh, get through email. See Miss Fran, raise your hand, Fran, and she will get you signed up and you can get this email and be in prayer for people who need it in our church. As you walk out and you're a member of the church, make sure you drop your offering in that black box. If you're a guest, fill out one of those guest cards you can see in the chair back in front of you. Take it back here to the uh, Connect counter, and we'll give you a coffee mug and a gift certificate to Chick-fil-A. That's a pretty good deal. And then answer any questions you might have. Tonight at 6.30, Don Smith is going to be teaching our lesson online. We do have several classes that are meeting in person. Uh, see one of our staff members, and, and we can get you connected. And more of those will be coming up in the near future. Wednesday night, come back at 7 o'clock. We're going we're gonna to have a great night of church for all ages on Wednesday night. Uh, staff loves you. I love you. Most of all, God loves you. So let's get out there this week and tear it up with his passion and his zeal. Get out of here. <laughs>